Father, again, we thank you for your amazing love, that you are love, that you did not give us what we deserved, but you chose to send your Son to be a sacrifice for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have imputed your righteousness to our account. And Lord, as you have shown this love to us and continue to pour out your love towards us, I pray that we might be a loving people, especially to your family. I pray that you would convict our hearts of areas that need to change. I ask that we would not just look at these areas as weaknesses, but actually as sin, if we have not done what you have told us to do. That we would be quick to repent, we would be quick to seek to walk with you. Lord, I ask that you would encourage our hearts, because this list is, is impossible to do without you. And yet, encourage us to know that as we walk with you, as we learn your word, as we submit to your will, that you will empower us to do this. And Lord, even give us opportunity, situations and circumstances in life when we can show love to another person, when even a month ago or a year ago we would not have been able to do it. I pray that you would test us and show us the areas that still need to be improved upon, we need to be submitted to. Again, we thank you for your word, that it gives us clear direction, and may we truly be submissive to it. May we be more than just hearers, but doers of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to be there today. Try to finish it up, hopefully. Again, we're here because in Galatians it says, through love serve one another. And as soon as you say love, there's a lot of perhaps misunderstanding. Sometimes people think it's just a feeling. But again, we have been seeing from 1 Corinthians 13 that this is not feeling. In fact, it's action. They're all verbs. In fact, they're all in the present tense, which is huge, which means it's continuous. In other words, we should always be patient, we should always be kind, we should always be you know, loving in all those different ways. But again, the perfections of love, if you really think of it, this is a portrait of God himself, of Christ himself. Again, it's actions. If it's actions, it means that we need to be tested to see if we do these things. In other words, are you asking God to give you opportunity to show love? And usually you're going to show love to, in, in these situations to situations that are hard, to people that are irritations to you, that have hurt you, that maybe you've had resentment towards. That's how you show love. I mean, it's, toward, it's not the easy situation, it's the hard one. But again, we learn to love not only by studying love, but by actually participating in it, doing it giving us an opportunity. The Lord gives us opportunity with circumstances, with situations of life. So again, we've gone through about half of them. Let me just review very quickly. Love is, again, patient, long-suffering. It's, it lasts long with passion. The idea is that you don't lose heart. That's what it means to be patient. You're not losing heart with people. You have a tendency to lose heart with people. You know, you, you say, okay, I'll, I'll love them as long as... And love is kind. Number two, it's, 
It's proactive. It's active goodwill. In other words, it's proactive in wanting to be constructive in a person's life. It's willing to help. It's more than just being nice. It's got to do with looking at a situation, looking at a person, saying, I want to help them grow. I want to edify them. I want to build them up. Number three, love is not jealous. It, it doesn't look around. And again, think about this in the context of the church because Paul's writing this in the context of the body ministry, spiritual gifts. And it's not jealous. In other words, that I want to have what someone else has. Or, I wish they didn't have it. There's actually a lot of jealousy and envy, really, in our hearts, I believe, at times. It only comes out at certain times, but I think it's there. Again, number four, love does not parade itself. In other words, it doesn't brag and boast about one's abilities and accomplishments. It's not trying to get ahead of everyone else. And again, in the context of the church, and it's not puffed up, swelled with pride, looking across the aisle and say, well, at least I'm not like them. And love does not behave rudely. By the way, if you don't have pride in your heart, it's not, if you have pride in your heart, you will act rudely. If you don't have pride in your heart, you will not act rudely. The loveless person behaves in a careless, overbearing, unseemly, unbecoming manner. Why? Because they're the center of attention. They're the center point. That's why they behave rudely. And then love does not seek its own. It's not selfish, it's not, but rather self-forgetting. I, I really think that this particular one is the root issue. And then because it's not self-seeking, it's not easily provoked. There's no sudden outburst. They don't fly off the handle. By the way, a person flies off the handle when they are the center. That's why they fly off the handle. And I'm not talking righteous anger. I'm saying unrighteous. In fact, as I was looking at these, just trying to, you know, summate them, the first two are positive. The other ones I've mentioned are all negative. And a lot of them all have to do with being self-focused, self-centered. Again, I can be patient if I'm not self-centered. I don't envy if I'm self. I mean, if I'm not self-centered, you know, I'm saying all these are. I don't pray myself. I'm not puffed up. I don't do those things if I'm not self. Not. I don't do those things if I am truly loving, which is selfless. Okay. Let me put it in a different way. Um, boy, if you want a great book on on love, Wayne Mack in his book Maximum Impact. He summarized up to this point. And and let me read some of the things. Just put them in more of an action statement. This is how this type of love up to this point acts. If you're you're not self-centered, this is how you're going to act. If you're not self-focused, if you're not the center of your world, in other words, if you're humble, this is how you're going to act. Loving God and others with a love that does not seek its own means that we will be willing to make costly sacrifices for God and for His people. Are you willing to make costly sacrifices? In other words, being like the Good Samaritan. Remember, he was willing to pay out of his own. He says, whatever it costs, I'll, I'll pay for it. To have this type of selflessness means that you will not be opportunistic or manipulative. When you're in conversation, you're not trying to manipulate it towards your ends. You won't have a give-to-get philosophy. In other words, I'll participate as long as I... And then something that you want out of the relationship. By the way, that happens in marriages a lot, I would say. It's hard to love selflessly. There's a tendency to say, well, I'll do this if... 
But again, true love says, no, I'm not, it's not a give to get. It does not seek its own means that we will attempt to see things from the other person's point of view and frequently be willing to submit when there is a disagreement. Hmm. In other words, you're able to give the other person the last word even. Is it hard for you to give the person the last word? Or to give the person the undivided attention when they are talking? Sometimes it's easy as they're talking, you're formulating your, your conclusions, your talk, you know, your thinking. And, and yet a really a selfless person is saying, okay, let me really focus in on what you're saying. Let me help, help me understand really what you, what are your thinking in this? What's your thinking in this? So you're giving undivided attention, not trying to get the last word. You're willing to allow others to do things differently than, than you do without judging or condemning them. I'm not saying that you don't evaluate them. I'm just saying sometimes you can get to the, uh, the goal different ways. That's not always easy in church. You know, you have business meetings. Not everybody's going to get their way. Isn't it sometimes hard? In fact, I was reading a book on uh, meetings this last week, elders' meetings, deacons' meetings, and I, it never occurred to me quite like this, but he said, you know, one of the most stressful places in the church is at meetings. Because you're coming together trying to make a decision and it's not always easy to do that and you really have to all show humility to get to conclusions. Otherwise, there's a tendency just to kind of... And sometimes I think we walk away stressed. And, and, and actually, there is stress in meetings. But it's trying to come to a conclusion. So there's a lot of service that even goes on at meetings. Not judging or condemning. It means that we will not get upset if someone else is honored and gets the credit for what we have done that they're recognized and applauded for it. I think that was happening in the Corinthian church a lot. In other words, we're devoted to helping people, which as Romans 12 says, that we are living sacrifices. I, I, that's really what he's referring to when he, you know, he's talking about this love, that we're willing to say, you know, it's not about me, it's about the church, it's about the church of Christ, and I'm willing to sacrifice me being the center for Christ being the center. And therefore, we can love and we can be patient and we don't have to be verbal and promote ourselves and all the other things that we just looked at. Well, let's go on. And we ended here last week, but we never really finished much of it out. It thinks no evil. Another perfection of God's love. It thinks no evil. The last part of verse 5. Again, a, book a bookkeeping term. It's a calculation term. It's a term that talks about that you write it down. And the idea that he's using it here in is that when, when there's an offense and you, you get hurt, that some people like to write things down. They don't actually write it down, some do, but, but again, in their mind, it's there, it's categorized, and it's, it's there to be gone back to periodically to, again, lick your wounds, to anticipate payday for that other person. But again, true love doesn't keep record of wrongs done against it. It doesn't keep reading and rereading the book. I mean, again, God's love, in God's heavenly record, the only entry after the names of His redeemed is righteous. If, you, if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, that's what's in the, in the record book, righteous. You might say, why? Because we are accounted as righteous in Christ. Christ's righteousness is placed to our credit and no other record exists in, in, in the book. Righteous. Now think about that. If God is willing to forgive you, how can you hold something against your brother? You want a good passage like Luke 17 and Matthew 18. How can he forgave such a great a debt? How can we ever hold something against our brother? 
I, I really want you to consider, uh, do you hold anything against someone? Because I think that one right there can really trip you up in your Christian walk. If you are not willing to forgive, what does it say? Your Heavenly Father will not be willing to forgive you. What does he mean by that? He's saying, listen, from Matthew 6, from a family ter- standpoint, if you're not willing to forgive your brother, then God says, listen, then you will not have fellowship with me at this point. So in other words, if you have bitterness and anger at someone that has said, I want to ask forgiveness, I want to make things right, I want to walk with you in fellowship, I'm saying another brother or sister in Christ, and you say no, understand from that point on, you're not in fellowship with God. That is a very, very serious thing because God takes forgiveness very serious. And I know there's a lot of hurts that are out there, right? But again, I think it's easy to get resentment. In other words, a wrong done against love is like a spark that falls into the sea and is quenched. I told you last week we went to Hawaii years ago. And that was one of the most interesting things, just to see that black. This one was black lava. I know lava is brown. Black, and it was just this massive amount of uh, lava that was made like a beach, actually. But there was a part of it that was still active. And again, you know, and, or you see it on TV and you just see it. It goes into the sea and, and that hot molten lava, lava just is quenched. And that's how our love for people should be, that when they ask for forgiveness, it's quenched. Yes, God has forgiven me so much. How could I hold anything against you? So love thinks no evil. It doesn't keep record of evil for future use. How about number, um, I don't know what number is. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity doesn't give it high fives, isn't glad about it. And you might say, well, what does it mean to rejoice in iniquity? It means to justify it. In other words, looking for someone else to commit iniquity. Now you might say, well, why would they want to... Well, it might be so that you can pin them. Okay? I mean, Isaiah says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Here's a person who rejoices in iniquity. They rejoice to see another person fall. And you might say, how, how, how cold-hearted. In other words, to not rejoice in unrighteousness means we do not take pleasure in it. We do not take pleasure in seeing another person sin. Now again, I'm not talking about just taking pleasure in unrighteousness. I think there's a lot of that going on. We easily get entertained by unrighteousness. I, I just will keep saying this to you. If you spend a majority of your time in front of the TV, you're being entertained by unrighteousness. Be careful because your mind is very valuable. And we can, we can putrefy it and, and make it impure very quickly. And in some respects, rejoice in unrighteousness that way. But I think here it means more to want to see another person fall into sin or to report on their sin. In other words, we should grieve when God is grieving over another person's sin. You find out that a person, a Christian, a pastor, a leader in the church has fallen into tax evasion, into adultery, into left the ministry for whatever reason. There's almost a perverse pleasure in the failures of others. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes we want to share it. Now think about that. Why do we want to share it with someone else? If that was your own daughter, you wouldn't want to share it. But when you find about another person that's committed this sin, you almost want to share it. I'm not saying all of you. I'm saying sometimes that's in the heart. And when we want to share it, 
That's rejoicing in iniquity. Like we want to promote it. Oh, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? Did you hear what happened to him or her? That's sad. But again, it, it, it reveals our heart. I mean, our hearts are at times very sinful. Again, we should grieve when God is grieving. We shouldn't want to bring uh, to light another person's sin. We don't want to parade it. We, we don't want to uh, parade the fact that they weren't obeying God, that they got caught. By the way, aren't you glad that you didn't always get caught? Aren't you glad someone wasn't looking over your shoulder when you had that thought this week? Or you looked at that thing this week? Or you made that comment? And only one other person was in the room, or maybe no one else, but you were saying it under your breath. See, love does not hope someone else will make a mistake or fall into sin. In other words, it doesn't gossip. In fact, one author said, the heart of gossip is rejoicing in iniquity. That's what we're talking about, rejoicing. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful not only do we not say it, but that we don't listen to it. Because again, it's... Gossip will stop if no one else is hearing it. If you just say, you know what, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to savor someone else's hurt. I mean, I'm not saying you never share something because sometimes it's needful. But again, I, I think sometimes there's this perverse pleasure that we just got this little tidbit. And we don't want to go there. We don't want to. One man said this, silence is sometimes spineless. Times when we ought to stand on our feet and regardless of the consequences, challenge the gross evils of the time. And the most times when not, not to do so is the most blatant form of cowardice. Sometimes we are cowards, we're spineless. We don't speak the truth, but he goes on. But there are other times when silence is golden, when to tell the truth is to make many hearts bleed needlessly and when nothing is accomplished and everything is hurt by a loose tongue. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to expose iniquity just because it's, we rejoice in it, because it's pleasurable. Now again, that's not to say that we don't... Sometimes you have to expose iniquity. You know, if you're talking about church discipline, there's a case where information is even brought even to the point of the congregation so that you know you have a sinning brother. But that should never be looked at as like, well, I can't wait to get home to tell someone else. It should be that it really almost cuts our heart that someone is in sin. Again, just like if it was my own son or my own daughter or my own wife. So again, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but love rejoices in the truth. That's the, that's the contrast. And here, from this point on, he starts uh, doing the positive again. Do you see what he said? He did a couple positives in the front end. He did about eight or nine negatives. Now he's switching over again and, and, and saying, well, this is what love is. It, it rejoices in the truth. Jesus' truth rejoices in the things that Jesus is. But, but what does it mean, rejoices in the truth? In other words, love rejoices when a person, other people know the truth and are walking by the truth. Love cannot tolerate wrong doctrine. I, I want you to understand that because sometimes people say, well, you know, what's important is love. And it is. But remember, love is always built on truth. If you don't have truth, you can't have true love. If you don't know who the true God is, you can't have true love. So love rejoices in the truth. It is wrong to think that it doesn't matter a great difference if people don't believe the correct doctrine. Like what, what matter is it that, you know, what matters is that, we, that they love. 
No, it matters what? It matters for their eternity. And again, what they believe in will affect their eternal souls. It helps create the motivations of their heart. That's why it says that true love rejoices in the truth because when you see someone that knows the truth, you know that they're, again, knows who Jesus Christ really is, that He is the Savior and that they have put their faith and trust in Him. That, that's what we rejoice in. Yes he, yes, he knows Jesus. And not only that, but he's, he's walking in the footsteps of Christ. Christ was God-centered. He, he was focused on God the Father, and we should be God-centered, Right? And when people are walking in truth, they're God-centered. It's not about them. It's about God and His plan and His people. And when people walk in that, and and God wants purity, and when people are walking in truth, they're walking towards God, for God, for His people, with purity in their heart. That's what we should rejoice us. That's what what we should be talking about. Boy, isn't it great to see so-and-so walk with God? (coughs) You know? I can say that of my own mother. Um... I've watched her. And again, she got saved after I did. But it's so neat just to see how God is working in her life. And she'll, you know, and call up and, you know, things have been made right between her and I, most of which was my problem. But the point is, you know, to see someone walk in truth. When my kids walk in truth, I think it was uh, the Apostle John in one of the epistles, he says, you know, he counted a great joy to see his children walk in truth. So again, this is love rejoices in the truth when, when right doctrine is understood and then people are walking in that correct doctrine. See, again, what you believe affects your eternal souls, your destiny, your reward, how you live for God. That's why we get excited about it. And they're all connected. Love, truth, and righteousness are all interconnected. I've got to have truth which brings me to righteousness, which shows love, and they're all interconnected. So it's not like you can have a person that's a heretic truly walking in love. That's why we rejoice in, in truth. So again, not only knowing truth, but walking in truth. It rejoices when others... Now catch this. It, let's go one step farther. It's not just that they walk in truth, but our hearts are really excited for them when they are blessed because they are walking in truth. See, do you see how that eliminates envy? It's like, yes! And then when they start walking, do you see how God is blessing you? And maybe God is blessing them even more than what I think God is blessing me, but I'm happy for you. I am so glad that God is... I'm glad that you're on God's team. I'm glad that you're walking with God. I am glad that God is blessing you. That doesn't always happen in my heart. Sometimes we want to see the person get out of the ditch. But maybe not too much farther... You know, let's walk with me. But sometimes God really blesses a person really blesses their children, really blesses their family. And sometimes there might be just a tinge of jealousy, a tinge of envy. But no, no. The true true love rejoices when God blesses another person. There was a Scottish minister, and he was known for his love and encouragement of the people of his church. I love being around encouraging people. But he died, and someone commented, there is no one left to appreciate the triumphs of the ordinary folk. See, what had this guy been doing? He had been encouraging them. Hey, listen, walk with God. You can do it. God wants, you to, wants to bless you. Keep. And then he died. He said, there's no one left to, to, to encourage the ordinary folk. It's not just the pastor and the elders that the Lord blesses. He blesses every one of his children. Do you believe that? 
Do you see how God has blessed you? Do you honestly see that? I mean, I often tell people, you know what one of the great exercises of the Christian life can be? Take it out a piece of paper and write down as many things that you can see that the Lord's blessing you in. And if you can only get to five, shame on you. Because God has just super and abundantly blessed you, right? I mean, you should, you should over time be able to get to 50. Easy. Now you're going to have to get more specific. It can be physical blessings. But let's make sure we remember the spiritual blessings and how God is working in you. We should be the most thankful people on this earth, right? You are not damned. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're given Christ's righteousness. All those are blessings, by the way. You're on your way to heaven, a new name, a new father, a new home. You know, sometimes we wander around frustrated, irritated because our eyes are on the world. But again, love rejoices in the truth. And it's not just the truth of others. It's the truth that is hitting us. We should be joyful people because look at all the things that God has done for us. Again, the triumphs of the ordinary folk, when it's all said and done, we're all ordinary. Only Jesus Christ is super ordinary, right? Extraordinary. So that's, what he's, that's how he ends. He, he starts with uh, patience. Now he ends with truth. Not iniquity. Truth. By the way, the, notice this. The opposite of iniquity is truth. Not the opposite of iniquity is purity. The opposite of iniquity is truth. Because once you have truth, then you're walking that path. And then he ends with four alls. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Hyperbole. Or as MacArthur says, exaggerations to make a point. That's true when it comes to us because we'll never be perfect, but when it comes to God, these are, these are true of Him. Love bears all things. It means to cover or to support. Now catch this. It means to cover, to support. Therefore, it means to protect. When it comes to love, love seeks to bear, protect the object of its love. I was going to show you a picture, but I chose not to. But you remember the, uh, the couple? Well, you can't see it from here, but... Dorwin and Navy Stoddard. you know what I'm talking about? Remember the gunman in Tucson who shot all the people? This was the husband that when he realized what was happening, sought to shield his wife from the bullet. And it hit him in the head and dropped de- he dropped dead on her right there. She got shot, I think, three times in the leg, but probably will survive. He heard the shots and covered my... This is what the, the daughter said. He heard the shots and covered my mom with his own body and protected her and saved her. Mom definitely felt that way. That's what he did. He sought to save his wife from the bullets, protect her. As I think of the word, bears all things, which means to cover, to support, and therefore to protect. That's what we're talking about but not in a physical sense, in a spiritual sense. A true believer who loves Jesus Christ, who is filled by His Spirit, who truly loves, seeks to protect other believers. In other words, protecting others. Love doesn't protect the sin, but protects the sinner. Because again, we live in a fallen world, and we're all dirty by sin. And rather than wanting to expose the sin in the form of gossip, true love says, no, 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 okay, It's not that I'm trying to protect you being a sinner. I'll expose it. By the way, I will rebuke you. That's other passages of Scripture. But in the process, I'm not going to make it known so that everyone else knows your sin. It's not about that. It's about you repenting and moving and walking with God. I want to protect you. 
I want to protect you from exposure, ridicule, and harm. I don't want to expose you to others of the wrongdoings that you're doing. I'm not happy for that. So again, love many times has to correct, but it does it with the least possible hurt and harm to the guilty person. It just seeks to protect. And by the way, it's not always... It's not always uh, sin that we're talking about. Sometimes it's just any old syncrasies of people. You know, some people have just some people are just kind of strange. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but they might be different. And sometimes we, you know, we might be talking and maybe do a little bit of a slur towards it. You know, and you know how they are. Wait a second here. Are we really trying to protect? Proverbs 12 says this, or 10. It says, hatred stirs up the strife. The idea, and by the way, it's in the intensive. Hatred stirs the strife. It wants to keep it moving. It keeps it churning. But then it says, love covers all transgressions. In fact, Peter uh, uh, refers to that in, in 1 Peter. But love covers, and there, that also is in the intensive. In other words, no, love tries to keep it under wraps. Yes, rebuke and see the person restored, but in the process, we don't want to make it known to everybody. We want to keep it in the smallest group possible, the smallest circle possible. So again, do I like to stir the pot or do I like to see it covered? So again, love does not justify sin. Yes, it warns. Yes, it corrects. Yes, it exhorts and rebukes and disciplines. Discipline, but it doesn't broadcast. It doesn't broadcast. Boy, you think about that in a church. You think about that in a marriage. You know, where lives are friction. And again, sometimes people like to get historical, going back to think no evil. No, if, if, if the record has been put aside, then we don't go back to it. And we want to we protect, cover. That's what Christ did. He covered our sins. Actually, he paid for our sins. A great illustration of that is the mercy seat. Where when the, in the Old Testament, when the, when the sacrifice was made, the sins were covered. I've told you this story before, but during Cromwell's reign as Lord Protector of England, a young soldier was sentenced to die. The girl to whom he was engaged pleaded with Cromwell to spare the life of her beloved, but to no avail. The young man was to be executed when the curfew bell sounded. But when the bell ringer repeatedly pulled the rope, the bell made no sound. The girl had climbed into the belfry and wrapped herself around the clapper so that it would not strike the bell. Her body was smashed and bruised, but she did not let go until the clapper stopped swinging. She managed to climb down bruised and bleeding to meet those awaiting the execution. When she explained what she had done, Cromwell commuted the sentence. See, her love was so great for, the, for her future husband, that she was just willing to do whatever to protect. To, whatever to protect. And so again, we should be willing to bear one another's burdens. Bears all things. How about this? Believes all things. In other words, it's not suspicious, but trustworthy. Trustful, excuse me. In fact, that's the same word when it talks about believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, trusting Him. Not cynical makes every allowance for the person. In other words, looks for an explanation that will show the best in the other person. It believes the best. Love believes the best. So in a church, again, this is, 
you hear about a person, no, no, I'm going to believe the best. I know what you just told me, but I'm going to believe the best. If I get other information, I'll change my thought, but I'm going to believe the best from the start. In other words, I'm going to make sure that he's innocent until proven guilty, not guilty until proven innocent. That's what it means to believe. We're going to assume that you're walking in God's ways, unless proven otherwise. We're not going to be witch hunters looking for the sin. By the way, we don't look for sin. Do you understand that? If you, see, if you know of someone that's in sin, you need to go yourself because we're not on witch hunts. We're not trying to find out now who is watching R-rated movies. I hope that you're not. It, it just filthy your mind up. But the point is, is that we're not on a witch hunt. We don't ask you to fill out a survey every year. Now, if you're going to be a member of our church, let me, you know, the 25 questions. No, we believe all things. In other words, believe the best. But sometimes people are involved in sin and other people know it and they're not willing to confront. Now, that, that's sin on their part. We need to work as a body. If you see a brother stumble, you need to go to them. See, believe that the one in the wrong will confess. If you do find somebody that, um, that is in sin, you're going to think the best. In other words, no, no. No, I believe that if I go and confront them and show them their sin, they will be convicted by God. They will repent because they want to walk with God rather than, nah, it's not worth it because they're not going to listen. (laughs) That's not believe all things. No, 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 no. They want to walk with God. It's, It's confident in the other person. John, you haven't lived very long. No, wait a second. God is on the throne. These, if, if you're walking with God, I mean, if you're God's people, God is working in your life. Do you ever counsel someone and you just kind of start out in the beginning? They're not going to change. It's going to be a waste of my time. But I'll do it anyways because I have to. No! No, wait. I'm going to give them truth and they're going to... They, you know, they might connect with it. Mike, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a realist. I understand some people don't. Boy, it'd be great if, if we had that attitude. Think about Peter on the shore after he had uh, denied the Lord. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? But what does he say at the very end of that? You know, Peter's saying, well, how about my death, John's death? What did he say? Follow me. It's a command, but you know what he's doing? Peter, I believe that you're going to do it. And by the way, Peter did. I mean, how many of us would would I have written Peter off? Come on, you denied the Lord. You had your chance. You blew it. How many of us have blown it? Over and over. No, we need to believe all things. By the way, you may be married to a person, maybe not a believer. That puts it in a little bit different category. But the reality is, do you believe? Do you love? Do you hope? But, John, my hopes have been dashed over. and No, no, love is like a harbor of trust. Some of you have been married to a believer, and they have really hurt you. They've done things that have violated your relationship with them. I would encourage you to confront them, but then believe that, yes, God is at work. And even tell them that, Lord, I'm praying for you. I am praying to the God Almighty, who you say you're serving, that you will repent and you will change. So he believes. So bears, believes, and then he hopes, uh, love hopes all things. Hopes means it's not despondent, not depressed. Does not give up because it has been, by the way, because it has been deceived, denied, or disappointed. Let's get to the, the real issues of life. Some people really uh, disappoint. They de- some deceive. Some really have hurt. But hope means that you're optimistic. 
Because again, its focus is on the Lord. By the way, the focus of all these is because God is love. God is sovereign. God is Savior. God is working. Therefore, I can hope. If my eyes are on Sola, I love her dearly, but I'm going to lose hope. She's not perfect. Some of you think she is, I know. (laughs) I always have to deal with this. But the point... But the point is, no, she knows, and she said, John, don't say that, because, no, that's right. My, my eyes aren't on her. It's got to be on the Lord. It's got to be on the fact that I believe that God Almighty has saved her and is working in her life, and therefore, even when things, you know, are like this, and there's issues that have to be resolved, I'm hopeful. By the way, the same thing with her to me, you know? I mean, hopefully, in the, I mean, that's the great thing about being around for 20-some years, you know, hopefully you've seen me change. Wouldn't it be sad if I was the same type of person as I was 25 years ago? You know what you should do then? Fire me. No, really, because it says grow in grace. If I'm not changing and growing, fire me. You need to find someone that's going to grow in grace. So again, love hopes. Even when belief in a loved one's goodness or repentance is shattered, love still hopes. So again... Even with their failure, even with their sin, even with their weaknesses. Now again, it's not always sin. Sometimes it's other things. It's a weakness in the loved one. The, you know, but you still hope. So we, we reject around here, you know, uh, whoa, I just lost it. Uh, uh, dog and old tricks. Help me out here. I just can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> Isn't that funny how something like a... We're not dogs. You know, God wants to change and grow you. So again, when love runs out of faith, it holds on to hope. Why? Because as long as God's grace is active in, in, human, uh, active in human failure, uh, failure, excuse me, whenever, <laughs> as long as God's grace is active, human failure is never final. That's what I'm trying to say. But isn't that true? As long as God is active, human failure is never final. Wherever that person is, wherever you are, it's never final. God is still working. There again, Peter, Jesus, follow me. By the way, Peter wasn't perfect. Remember the whole situation in Galatians 2 we looked at. And when he moved away from the Jews and the Gentiles and, and separated, and, and it wasn't like he was perfect from the point that Jesus said, follow me. But, he, but you know what, Peter? You repented of the second time that you failed and followed me again. Yeah, we're going to keep having to pick ourselves up. God is going to have to do that. So love refuses to take failure as final. In other words, the rope of love's hope has no end. But again, has it in your own life? Is there someone in your life, maybe, again, more particular, I'm talking about as a Christian, that you've just written off? You know, they've just, they failed me too many times. They've said too many hurtful things. It just, I don't have any more hope for them changing. I have no more hope for them restoring the relationship. Probably in that scenario right there, you have stopped praying for that person. See, because you've already said it's, it's hopeless. And you need to ask God to say, you know, Lord, I want to start praying for that person again. Lord, I want to start praying because you know what? You are on the throne. I am not. And you want to see them transformed and you have the power to do it. And I'm going to keep bringing them before you. When our hope becomes weak, we know our love has become weak. So hopefully your, your hope has not become weak. And then finally, love endures all things. What's very interesting is it's the word uh, hupomeno. 
All right, only to say this. When he started this whole chapter, in ver- chapter or verse 4, verse 1, when it said love is patient, macrothumia, that's usually, it's almost always used for a person. So he started out love is patient as far as love is patient with people, very passionate to run with people, doesn't lose hope, doesn't, lose, um, doesn't grow weary with people. But here, this word, hupomeno, is, is used of circumstances. So he's kind of put it like two bookends. He started the chapter with people, but now he says endures all things, even when it comes to circumstances and situations in your life. It can outlast any trial. In other words, it is invincible. It remains steadfast in the face of the most unpleasant circumstances. Love just keeps enduring. It's like a, it's like a bulldozer. Not a little bulldozer, big bulldozer. Just keeps plowing through because its eyes are set on God. By the way, if your eyes are set on yourself, you'll fail. The interesting thing of endure was it's a military term. In other words, it was used of an army's holding a a vital position at all costs. If if you told this group of men, go hold the top of the hill at all costs, that means endure. No matter how hard it gets, keep enduring. Hold the position. We'll be behind you. And so God says, you know, what, you know what love really does? Love endures all things. It holds the position. What do you mean position? In other words, it knows that God is in control, that the people are part of the church, that they're imperfect, that you're imperfect, but you've been forgiven, and God is in control. Let's keep going back. And it just keeps holding on to the fact, yes, and, and we're a body, and we work together. And no matter what happens, whatever circumstance, it might be a, a word that was said in an elders meeting, deacons meeting, or you might have been involved in a ministry and people just didn't understand and frustrated. Or you might have heard someone was gossiping about you. Or you might have heard something about one of the members of that church and they were even a leader and they failed. And because of that, I'm giving up on this whole thing. You know, that's, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, yeah. Don't you understand that we are all a bunch of hypocrites in one way or another? Because how many of you have sinned in certain ways and nobody knows about it, and yet you came here all smiley today? Well, most of you are. Some of you are watching your watch, but no, you know, right? See, there's a circumstance, and for whatever reason, you gave up on love in the sense of showing love to God by showing love to his people. Do you see what I'm saying? See, in other words, when people go through that, and then they, I'll give you this example, then they leave church. And then you do church at home. Well, wait a second here. God called us to be a body. That's 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. He told us to use our gifts with, but yet there was this circumstance, and now I just don't know if I can trust people again. I just don't know if I even want to be a part of a church. I don't know how I can ever listen to that, that elder again. You know, boy, they just hurt me so much. Your love is not enduring. Yes, those true things can be true. I can attest to the fact that after being here 25 years, there's been times I've been hurt. Hurt by you, hurt by other people. I'm sure I've hurt you. But you know what? If our love is focused on what God's love is, it keeps enduring. It's like, uh, Chris, what is one of the biggest bulldozers out there? A DC? DC 10? I love noises. Is your love like that? Now, really, is your love like that? Is it just like 
No, I'm moving forward with God because my eyes are on God. Or is it some little thing that has happened or maybe some big thing that has happened and you know what? Your commitment to God's people has become a lot less because of that. Your commitment to God's people to love them like he's saying here, to love him by loving them has become less. You need to become endurance. Christ endured the cross for us. He willingly died on the cross for your sin. The most magnificent sacrifice ever. He endured to the end and became obedient. That's how he loves us. And that's why in Romans chapter 8 it says, nothing, remember all the things he he mentions? Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. Why? Because that's God's love towards us, but we need to, we need to uh, exemplify that. We need to imitate that, uh, that type of love. Not just to God, because God says, well, yeah, you can say you love me, but the people are right there. Show, my, show me your love by sh- loving my people. You know, there was a situation in uh, John MacArthur's life years ago where his wife was traveling down the... Uh, I guess L.A. Turnpike or somewhere, anyways, on one of the main... You know, you get to L.A., you get like four lanes either side. Anyway, she gets in an accident, and because of the accident, she ends up in a halo. But what was interesting is how he responded to his wife having to deal with this injury. And he said this, quote, This all has brought in a wonderful opportunity for me to serve my wife. As, she, as he looked at her, and she almost died through the whole thing, He says, it just gives me a wonderful opportunity to serve. Now, you'd say, well, of course, he loves his wife. Well, yeah, we know he loves his wife because he stayed with her. There's a lot of people that don't have that situation. But wait a second, why? Because he loves his wife. That's why he's counted it a privilege. He counted it a privilege because he loved his wife. Let's bring this right into here. If you have endurance, it's because you have the love. Okay? If you say, well, no, it's because I don't have the endurance. Well, yeah, because you don't have the love. Lord, fill us with love. Fill us with so much love from you that we really love one another. And if we really love one another, what are we going to do? We're going to be willing to serve one another. Again, that's the whole reason of going through 1 Corinthians 13. Next week, we'll be back in Galatians. We're going to be looking at how to serve. But again, the question for today is this. Are you truly loving? Do you say it? Do you feel it? Or actually, are you showing it? Showing it by your commitment on what you do. Are you actually showing love to God's people? Let's stand as we worship Him. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We can't do it on our own. It's only through God's power through us. But I ask you to do this. Ask God to reveal in your heart the areas that need to be changed. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You that You are love that you indeed work with us out of your own patience towards us. Thank you that you're kind. Lord, thank you that you do not keep record of the evils that we have done, but you have imputed to us Christ's righteousness. Lord, we thank you that you are changing us and growing us. And we ask that you would test us in these areas, reveal to us areas that need to be changed, Lord, that's hard to pray, but we're finite, and we need to know where our love is lacking. 
Father, again, we thank you that you only give us what we can bear. Remind us of this truth, because some of us are going through very deep trials, and yet we know that you are a loving Father. And Lord, you just give us what we can bear, and then you give us the strength to go through that trial. Father, I thank you for examples even of John MacArthur towards his wife, that he counted it a privilege to be able to serve her through her time of need. And Lord, help us to be people who want to serve others, to serve our families, our spouses, our children, our parents, but also to serve one another and to do it out of love. Lord, this message is easy to hear. It's, it's hard to put into practice many times. But as you lead us, help us to be dependent on you. And thank you that when you chasten us, it's out of love. Lord, thank you that you are patient. And just guide us now for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen.